trauma moves with you. And so I had to go through my own process of like, well, how do I get my confidence back? How do I get the sparkle back? How do I bring the black girl magic back? And that was a process. Welcome to the Unconditionally Worthy Podcast. In this podcast, I will guide you on your journey to connect with the true source of your self-worth. Each week, we'll discuss barriers to unconditional self-worth, the connection between self-worth and relationships, self-worth practices you can apply to your life, and how to use self-worth as a foundation for living courageously. I'm your host, Dr. Adia Gooden, a licensed clinical psychologist, dance enthusiast, and a dark chocolate lover who believes deeply that you are worthy unconditionally. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unconditionally Worthy Podcast. On today's episode, we are talking about something that I think far too many of us go through and experience, and that is experiencing a toxic workplace culture. Specifically, my guest today, Zanika Chapman, experienced workplace bullying and really went through trauma because of it, because of the bullying she experienced. You might not experience bullying in the workplace specifically, but too many of us spend a lot of time in toxic workplaces. And we talk about some of the signs and signals that you may be sort of experiencing a traumatic work environment, as well as some of the ways it's important to cope with that and move forward from it and heal from it. So if you are experiencing a challenging work experience, work environment or situation, you're definitely going to want to listen to this episode. It helps you to understand that you are not the problem. And we talk about how it's so important to understand that you're worthy in the midst of all of that, because that helps you to come through without losing sight of the truth of who you are. So this is a really powerful episode. Zanika shares her own personal story, which is moving and relatable. And so you're going to want to dive in and listen to the full episode. And I'd love for you to share a rating or review. So if you find this episode helpful, if you find the podcast helpful, you can really help me help the podcast and support the podcast by sharing a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. This helps other people to find the episode. So I would sincerely, sincerely appreciate it. And, um, you know, let us know what you think. Let's get into the show. So I'm really excited to welcome Zenica Chapman onto the podcast today. She is a certified personal and executive coach, helping women rediscover their inner strength and confidence in the aftermath of workplace-related trauma. Her own journey into coaching and positive psychology began after being left emotionally broken by a pair of workplace bullies at the height of her marketing career. She went on a path to redefine her self-worth and what it means to be successful at work. And now as a coach, she's helped dozens of other women do the same. As a coach, she helps leaders develop their own unique leadership style and create work environments that are safe and equitable. She's also the creator of an eight-week work detox program, Surviving Corporate, that helps women establish a healthy relationship with work and puts them back into the driver's seat of their careers. So welcome, Zenica. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Oh, I'm so honored to be on the podcast. So excited. Well, I'd love to start our conversation by having you share a bit about your own self-worth journey. 
Yeah. So I think I probably say I'm still a little bit on the self-worth journey. I think it's constant work. Um, but I will say, I think my, my journey as, as a young girl growing up in the South, I always had this thing and it's interesting. I talk about it now with my mom that, you know, there was, I ex- definitely experienced colorism growing up in the South. And so I, mm. I feel like I internalized very early that the, the girls who get ahead were either the pretty girls or the smart girls. And so I mm. always felt like, well, if I, I, I'm not, I'm never going to be able to change the way I look, but I can definitely mm. be smart. So that was going to mm. be um, kind of my path to success. And so that kind of put me on a journey of always wanting to be smart, always feeling like I have to be smart because I don't have the the pretty trait to fall back on. And as I got older, that turned into box checking and achievements mm. and where I worked and what I was doing, and what company I was working for and whether or not I was lead on this project or that project, which of course you and I both know. That is never a good path. That is not the place mm. that you want to hang your self-worth hat on. And so right. when I did start to encounter different isms and issues in the workplace, of course, my self-worth was wrecked because if I'm mm. not the successful one and I'm not the smart one, well, then who am I? And so mm. that was really when when I kind of started to peel back the layers in understanding if I don't have any of these things anymore and then... Additionally, in 2020, I was in a really bad car accident and um, I had a, had a concussion. And so I could not read. So imagine the mm. smart girl. So, so now mm. it's like, gosh, you don't even have the ability mm. to acquire knowledge anymore. And so mm. who am I without all of those things? What am I going to bring to the world if I no longer have achievements? Um, if I no longer have s- my smarts, right? But I really went on a path to start to understand what is it that I want to bring to the world? What is my purpose? Mm. Why am I here? And that's when I kind of learned that it wasn't necessarily about acquiring knowledge and, and sharing knowledge, but it was about how you impact people and how was I going mm. to use all of these things and skills that I had acquired to really impact the world. And in turn, start to redefine my own self-worth and really get back to a place of, you know, if I never read another book, I'm worthy. Mm. If I never Mm -hmm. achieve another thing, if I never check another box, if I just lay all of those things down, I am still worthy of love, of peace, of psychological safety at work, Mm. all the things. I'm still worthy of that, even if I don't do anything else, because my being is enough. Hmm. That's so powerful. And I think will resonate with a lot of people. I really appreciate how your story touches on kind of how we can be really challenged around self-worth when we lose parts of our identity. Because I think that so often happens. It's like, okay, well, this is my identity. I'm the smart one. I'm the high achiever. I'm the one who has the money. I'm the one who has the partner. I'm the one who has, right? Like these sort of roles and identities. And we decide, well, we're worthy because we have these things. And then when we lose those roles, like if you you know, leave a job or you lose a job or you lose the ability to read or whatever it is, right? Sometimes it's it's your body changes and, you know, there's lots of things. And then that sort of faces us with, do we no longer believe we're worthy because we no longer can identify as this 
person Mm -hmm. um, or in this role. And so you sort of had to, that's what prompted you, it sounds like, to work through some of these deeper questions because you realized that you couldn't just rest on the achievements or the identity as a smart one when that was no longer available to you. Right, right. And and you you know this because you talk about this all the time in this space. It's also, it's just a trap too, right? I think that was when the the veil of all of it was kind of pulled away from me. And it 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 really kind of started me on this path of it's a trap. It doesn't yep. matter. The next degree is a trap. The bigger house is a trap. The promotion, it's all a trap. If you don't get clarity and clear and in love with who you are in this particular moment, you're gonna be chasing all that other crap for the rest of your life. Yes, yes, yes. I tend to say like the game is rigged, yeah. right? Like you trying to play this game and it keeps saying it's the next thing. It's the house, it's, it's the, the car, thing. it's the partner, right. it's the promotion. It's the, and you get there and you're like, okay, great. I can rest now. I can feel good about myself. I can feel worthy. And it's like, oh, oh, oh. no, it's actually that next thing over there. You got to keep running. Right. You got to keep going. Right. There's no breaks. Right. And we can really exhaust ourselves in the process. And Mm -hmm. I also, I'm sort of curious about, you know, you talked about sort of working really hard and doing all of these things because it felt like your work was dependent on these status and being the lead. What did life look and feel like for you when you were in that space and operating from that place? It felt very busy, but it felt Mm. very unfulfilled. I was Mm. doing all, I was doing all the things. I was on all the committees at work. Um, And honestly, I have learned kind of on this other side of it that work is great, but I love doing stuff out in my community too. But none of that Mm. was on the plate, right? It was all work. Mm. There was very little family. There was, I can't come to this thing because I either have to work or I don't have the money, which to look back on that now, it's like to be overworked, underpaid and broke, that was not, that mm. was not, <laughs> that was mm. not the move. Right. So no. I was, <laughs> so it was, it was very busy, but it was very unfulfilled. It was a very mm. lonely existence too at, at some places because oftentimes, you know, we go to work and we're friendly, but we don't even have friends there. And I wasn't really mm. spending time. And when I kind of did an assessment at the end of, of a year, I realized that like, man, I was really craving social. Like I had no social Mm. life. And we often Mm. think, well, that's a good thing. Or, you know, just work hard and the other stuff will come. No, you have to work at every aspect of your life. If you want to have a social Mm. life, if you want to have relationships, you have to work at them. And so my my life became very busy. It became very work heavy. There was no work-life balance or unison or whatever cute words you want to put on it. It was just so hmm. to me, it was, it was a miserable existence too. Mm. I'm imagining a lot of people listening could relate to that. Like I can certainly relate to that. I was definitely in the space of like busy, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Like fill all of your time and 
that can sort of serve as a cover for maybe if I'm busy, I'm purposeful. Maybe if I'm busy, life is meaningful. Maybe if I'm busy, I'm worthy because I'm important and people need me and I have to do stuff and I'm so needed. And right. We can sort of be a martyr for like, Oh, I just have so much to do. I have so much on my plate, right? Like that can, we can get into that type of mode. And for you, it was like work and nothing else. And for some people it's work, plus your sorority, plus your church, plus your family, and you're busy running around doing all this stuff for everyone else, but still feeling frustrated, resentful, right? Like discontent on the inside. And so I think for those listening, like check in with yourself, right? Like this is a tough, but necessary question. Like, are you feeling fulfilled? Are you feeling like the work you do and how you show up in the world is meaningful? And if not, are you filling your life with a bunch of stuff that you think is going to make you feel worthy, but it's really just kind of for show, right? Like it's really just trying to play this rig game. It's another trap, right? As Zeneca is saying, like what's really going on? Because I think that can lead us to burnout when we just keep thinking, I need to add stuff in. It's like, when you're hungry, but all you keep doing is eating junk food yep. and then you're still hungry and you say, okay, well maybe I'll just do another bag of chips or yep. another candy bar, or another bag of chips or another candy bar, or another energy drink. And it's like, well, you're hungry. Like you need a meal, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you need some protein and some good complex carbs and some fat, right? Like you need a meal, yeah. some vegetables, not keep eating junk, but we can confuse the need for a true meal to slow down and stop and Mm -hmm. eat a nourishing meal, maybe with people that we love and connect to deeply with like, okay, I just got to keep eating the junk. Right. I just got to keep eating the chips and maybe that'll hold me over for 30 minutes. And then, and then, but by the end of the day, you feel kind of sick and too much and overly full, but undernourished. That's right. Right. Like we can do the same thing with our lives. Yep. For sure. And we and we like to kind of disguise the trap with things that things that everybody will think are okay, right? So when you mm. when you when somebody says, Hey, you want to come to the to the vineyard with me, me and the girls are doing the picnic thing, and no, I'm too busy. No, I don't have the money. No, the kids have something to do because nobody's gonna argue with you that you're not busy. Nobody's gonna argue with you that the kids thing needs to be done. Nobody's going to argue with you that you don't have the money. So I got into a trap of conveniently saying those things, right? Even though I don't have Mm. kids or I had another family commitment. Mm. So I could kind of continue to feed my own vicious cycle of, oh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm too busy for fun. I'm too Mm. busy for the things that really are fulfilling for the girl time, because that's important. And we oftentimes Mm -hmm. will say, well, that's not important. It, It goes, all of the things that you need to make you feel nourished goes further and further and further down the list. And I see Mm -hmm. it all the time in my clients when they come to me and they are on the verge of burnout or they're in a toxic work situation. One of the, my favorite questions to ask is when was the last time you had fun? And Mm. they're like, I don't, I don't even know what fun Mm. looks like for me anymore. Mm. Right. Mm. So, I mean, that's, that's that's a big chunk of it, right? Like, I don't even know what that, like, I, I have had clients say to me, I can't even comprehend the question because I don't mm. even know what that means anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I've thought about this, this idea, which is that I think so often I'll say black women in particular, and I'm mm-hmm. sure it applies to other groups, but certainly black women 
are socialized into this idea that our suffering is of service mm-hmm. and that that is like what we're supposed, we're supposed yes. to suffer and serve and be martyrs. We're supposed to support everyone else and other people can have fun. Black men can have fun, yeah. but we don't have room or time for fun. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just like, we, we sort of then start to internalize this idea that we don't have time for fun. Nope. We don't play around. There's no time for that. We, you know what I mean? And it's really kind of heartbreaking. Right. And it means it's like, you know, even in that sort of like the strong black woman, which we know is a huge burden that so many black women carry. And even in like the black girl magic piece, there's often a sense of like, you're magical, you're superhuman, you're not just like having fun. Right. And then when we do have fun, it's often sort of like hypersexualized if it involves dancing or music. And then often it's twisted as, though it's in service of somebody else's fun right. or enjoyment or entertainment versus just being for us and what we enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I see that a lot in my clients of just this, this burden of having to carry it all. And, you know, one mm. of the things that, that I love to talk about in my coaching practice is, but you don't. Mm. And I get a lot of flack for it, right? Like when I have people, I have, I have, Young, younger women who are starting off and they're like, hey, somebody said something in my workplace and I feel like I need to address it. And how do I? And I was like, do you want to address it? Because you get to choose which mantle mm-hmm. you're going to pick up today. And is that one that you want to pick up? Mm-hmm. Right. Like what pieces of that, you know, not everything in all times. Right. Do you want to be on the committee this this season? Mm. Because black know, women, we will okay. be expected to be on the committee without compensation, without that's, acknowledgement, without consideration for your promotion. Right. But you will be working that committee and right. improving that workplace because that's expected. That is expected, right? That is unpaid labor that we do all the time. And we can talk about that a whole another story for another day. Well, but, <laughs> but, but to me, that's also the trap, too, in the workplace. That mm-hmm. You're expected to be on the committee. And save us, mm. but the committee doesn't have resources. The committee doesn't have strategic oversight. So, so the opportunity that's being promised to you on the committee doesn't really exist. No, no. And you can be strategically raising your hand and volunteering for projects that are also going to help move the mission that you're trying to do, but also get you the coins and get you in the room to where you can actually yes. change. Right. That's a big difference. It makes me think of a job I applied for a faculty position and they were so excited about like how I was going to like do this community outreach. And I was going to like help with their diversity. Cause I had been doing some diversity work at my job that I was currently at, that I was applying from. And I remember asking them, so how is this considered? How are these types of activities considered for tenure? Right. And they were like, Oh, like, you know, like it was like 5%. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> So I'm going to be doing all this work to make your department look good, to do outreach in the community. Like that's a lot of work and it's work that I loved, but it's a lot of work. And that is not in consideration for my promotion or my longevity in this role. Okay. I I see you. (laughs) Right. Like, and I think we can get caught up because there's so much affirmation of it. Right. First of all, there's expectation. If you're black, you're going to be doing this work. Mm -hmm. 
And second of all, there's a there's a verbal affirmation without the deeper, you're going to get a promotion, you're mm-hmm. going to get a raise, you're going to be included in leadership, you know, talks and conversations, right? So it's very, very surface level. Mm-hmm. And I think at the extreme, it can be sort of abusive, yeah. which also makes me think about, you know, your own story that I wonder if you could share a little bit about your own experience being bullied yeah. and experiencing a traumatic workplace. Because I think People, I think sometimes it's hard for people to recognize what that looks like because it's not, you know, we talk about abuse and we think, oh, hitting, oh, right. Like we think of this sort of, again, like physical violence. And I'm guessing that didn't happen to you. That did not happen to me. And there are different levels of abuse and trauma. And I think when people can hear a story of somebody who experienced it, then they may recognize in their own experience what may be similar and what may need to like prompt them to shift, get out of that situation, address the situation, et cetera. Yeah. So I experienced something at at what I would consider to be the height of my career. I had landed what I thought was my dream job and everything was going well. It it was a a very intense job, but that's what I loved about it. Everything Mm. was going well. I had already kind of had preliminary talks. So all the things that people tell you to do, having the preliminary talks around promotion and things like that. And I went into a meeting with my supervisor at the time and I thought we were getting ready to have the promotion conversation. So I had all my little documentation, all my numbers of like, here's how I am, you know, helping move this issue forward. And she just looked at me and this is without any warning, without any prior meetings. And she said to me, you are the worst person on the team. Now that Mm. in and of itself, if I needed some feedback, I would think we could find a better way. (laughs) A way better way. That's not helpful at all. Of saying that. And at the time, I, mean, I was devastated. This was my mm. dream job. This was a company that I thought I would be at forever. And here I am, the weakest, worst person on the team. And after a minute to kind of process that, I, you know, she started to explain some things that I could do, or, or maybe I even asked, I don't remember specifically in that instance. And I said, okay, you know, I, I won't, I won't play you guys after I went to the bathroom and cried (laughs) because that's something else we don't do at work. We don't cry. We don't let them see us in that position. I went home. It was a Friday night. And I said, you know what? I am not going to let this company put me on an improvement plan. Cause if you've been in the corporate Mm. world, you know what that means. Like very few people come off road out. Yeah. Very few people come off of a pit and that had come up in the conversation. So I said, you know what? I'm going to create my own improvement plan. And I went point for point with everything that she told me of ways that I could approve. How could I get support? I started buying courses off of Coursera um, so Mm. that I could improve in this area because I didn't want to ask the company. I wanted them to see that, no, I was taking initiative to change these Mm. things to become a better employee. And I would love to tell you guys that when I presented that plan to her, she said, yes, let's do it. Let's grow together. She looked at it and she looked back at me and she said, I don't think it requires all of this. Mm. And so that just kind of was a series of unfortunate events of where I started to get removed from projects. Um, Mm. I was no longer invited to team meetings anymore. Um, I had other colleagues Mm. calling me saying, hey, this other person is showing up to our our project meeting. Why are they showing Mm. up? 
And I then had to either say, I don't know, or try Mm. to get information. So, you know, workplace bullying is really when an employee is targeted by one or more employees. And that, that can be harassment. That can look a number of ways. It could be, you know, denial of PTO. It could be not really giving you all of the work. So it could be work sabotage and not really giving you all the steps that you need to complete a project. But it can also look very not easy to track. So it could be that Mm -hmm. person who says one thing to your face, but says another to a manager or says another to your colleagues. Mm -hmm. And so you're always kind of having to address these other things. And so that was a lot of what I went through when I was going through my, my workplace experience. And as you guys can imagine, my backstory of being like, I am always the best. I am always the smartest Mm -hmm. person in the room. I'm always Mm -hmm. prepared. I wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't prepared for the constant series of attacks. And it got to the point where I remember I couldn't write emails and I am a writer, (laughs) right? I'm a reader and I'm a writer. I'm a communicator at heart. And I'm not talking about like in-depth emails. I'm talking about, hey, colleague, I'm following up on a project. Because Mm. I had been told so many times that I could not write. Why was I Mm. speaking to people above my pay grade? If I wanted to talk to this particular project lead, I needed to send it to someone else for a review. And so I remember I had one friend, Mm. one friend in this whole department who I would, she was kind of my backup. And I would send her emails and I would say, hey, would you read this email for me? And she finally looked at me one day and she said, I'm not going to read any more emails for you. And I'm not going to sit here and watch you. I'm not, I, it's not okay what they're doing to you, but I'm not going to watch what you're doing to you. So she mm. was, so she kind of looked at me and she said, you send that email and you finish your day and then we're going to go to lunch and this is going to be the end of it. And that was when I, I knew that mm. I needed to get out of that situation. Mm. And that had impacted me to a point where it was going to cause it could have caused permanent harm to me emotionally. It just sounds so painful, right? It was painful. It was painful. And there were days that, you know, I, I, I sympathize with people because, because I remember the days of like, just muster the courage to get out mm. of the car and then press the button on the elevator, right? And so that also, I, I was very depressed. I gained probably about 20 pounds. Because I just, I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. My hair was doing crazy stuff. <laughs> um, and so it's just when people think about like toxic mm-hmm. workplaces and, and what that looks like and how that impacts people, it's not just about, oh, happier employees are more productive. Happier employees are happier mm-hmm. people. And you should just want happier mm-hmm. people working at your companies. You should not want to subject people to any type of leadership that makes them feel like they can't speak up and makes them feel like they can't trust their teammates and they can't trust their leadership. So we we have to start, stop kind of praising these crazy leadership styles that Mm. belittle people and make them feel small because, you know, I've been a nerd a really long time. And once I graduated college, I quit reading fiction books. I read all the leadership books Mm. on the shelf. And I've never read one that says the way that you make an employee more productive is make them feel like crap. No, that's not helpful. It's good good for the company, right? 
But we have so many people who are going through this and they can't get the support that they need from their leadership or from their companies. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like a big thing that happened was not only were they bullying you and using shame-based tactics and really just not giving you room, first of all, not giving you constructive feedback, not supporting your growth and development, right? Like not basically sort of like by the time you got the feedback, they had decided that they didn't think you were a good team member or whatever. So they were sort of like, how do we get her out? Right. And that seems like it was a very unfair assessment. And then for you, because you were in achiever mode, you took it on as a challenge. Absolutely. And you Absolutely. said, okay, how do, how, do I, how do I fix it? How do I prove them wrong? How do I achieve? Absolutely. Let me, I'm just always going to be working. I'm always going to write. Like, I'm just, this is what I do. I know how to do it, right? Like, and so then it became an internalized. And I think that's what you're saying. Your friend, your work friend was like, you got to stop doing this to yourself. Because yeah. for you, it felt like they just don't see, you know what I mean? Like, I've, I've got to show them, like, I can do yeah. this. And that was then an extra layer on top of, you know, sort of the abuse that you were experiencing from them. Yeah. Yep. What? exactly it. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Yeah. What role do you feel race and gender, right? Like being a black woman played in, in that whole situation? I think it played a huge part. By the time I started to experience what I was experiencing, I had a few other friends of color who were in that role. And one of them called me one day. We hadn't spoken in a really long time. And she started asking me questions. She said, hey, has anybody done this yet? Has anybody said this to you yet? Mm. Have these things come up yet? And I was, as I was talking to her, I was having this moment of like, how does she know? Mm. How does she know What's happening? What kinds of things are going on? And she's been removed from this place for months at this point. And so I definitely think that race played a huge factor. I I think that on some level, the toxicity was just there. But I definitely think that the the level of the just aggressiveness that I felt definitely was because of my race, was because I was a Black woman. I I think Mm. that had I not been, if I still had issues that needed to be addressed, I think the comments would have been tempered a different way. But I think Mm -hmm. that because I was a woman of color and I think that they knew that there would be no repercussions Mm. is that whatever they wanted to say, they treated me however they wanted to treat me. Mm. Tell me about how you got out of that situation and how you healed or recovered from it. Yeah. So I, I will say, um, I got out by the grace of God and I recognize how lucky I was because as I study more about workplace bullying, as I work with more and more people, I understand that my situation was very unique and that I, I had someone who was already looking out for me. And that same friend who told me to get, get yourself together, <laughs> um, was the same friend who started advocating for me in other areas of this particular company. And because of that, because she spoke up, not because I spoke up, I had gone to HR and, you know, HR told me a different thing, but it was because she spoke up that I was able to kind of transition into a different role and kind of get snatched out of that really quickly before it went a different way. But I recognize, and I do want to just say that I recognize how lucky I was because for most people, you know, we talk about toxic workplace cultures from an emotional standpoint and a mental standpoint, 
But there is also a financial impact Mm. to this as well, because many people are not as fortunate as I am, and they end up having to separate from a situation without another place of employment. And imagine for people right now on the other side of this pandemic, as we tether on the line of recession, Mm -hmm. what that could do to somebody's financial situation when they're forced to leave something as toxic as that without another opportunity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think especially if you're in the mode of it's me who's the problem and you're sort of just in this space of sort of questioning your worthiness, even your worthiness to be treated well, it can really keep you stuck. I know, you know, my last role, there were some problematic things happening. It wasn't to the level of what you experienced, but, you know, there was one day I was meeting with my friend. We had like brunch monthly and she was like, you know, this sounds abusive. She's also a psychologist. And I just like started like, I'm like, you're making me cry in brunch. Like, just like, whoa. And I think it's because it sort of struck this deep truth. And for me, it was a lot of little like, which I think a lot of Black people experience, especially Black women, like when you're going to make us look good, we're going to put you out front, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you're going to make us look good, we're going to use you, right? Like put you in front of the board, put you in front of the, you know, the, the people who donate, put you in front of like, but when you're not in that space, we're going to ignore you. (laughs) We're going to give you the worst office. We're not going to order you lunch and everybody else got lunch. You're the only one who didn't get lunch and we're not going to even notice or acknowledge. Yeah. Right. Like, and this sort of, we're going to like be reductive about what your role is. Right. And it it was this (laughs) tension, right. Mm -hmm. Between like, okay, you're putting me out front. Right. Uh Like, look, we got this black woman, like, Oh, we're so impressive. But then it was like, Oh, well, (laughs) your well-being, (laughs) your comfort, your, but like, we don't care about that, (laughs) you know? And it was just, and you know, you also described this sort of like mustering the courage. And I think what that also is about is like our bodies start to tell us that there is something wrong, especially if we're ignoring things. And you said the, the weight, your hair, you're like physically had to like, Oh, get yourself in. I think for me, it was like Friday evening. I would be like, Oh, Like, so like I could shut it down, feel good. I was not touching that email over the weekend. It was not on my, I took it off my phone over the weekend. I literally was like, disconnect. Monday, it would be stress, tension, right? Like dread, right? Most people call that the Sunday scaries. Yep. And I think we can sort of ignore, like you're more irritable. Your body doesn't feel good. You're tired. You have all these headaches. You have all these backaches. Like, Pay attention to your physical signs. And I think especially for Black women, like we know about weathering. We know that our bodies age more quickly because of the racism and the sexism we're enduring. These stressors have really long-term consequences for us. Yes. Right? Yes. So I'd love, you know, it sounds like there, there are a lot of signs that you needed to get out. And I also think about my own experiences like, I'm grateful it pushed me to leave and start working for myself because I needed a little push 
And sometimes it feels like things are falling apart when really things are falling together. But in the moment, it looks like everything I worked for is falling apart and what I, yeah. like, what's going to happen. But in the long run, it's like, actually, we needed to get out of there. And sometimes you needed it to be toxic. So you'd be like, I'm leaving. Because if it was a little more oh, yeah. comfortable, you'd stay. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I needed... I look back now and and I needed that situation so that I could be here because it freed me in a lot of ways. And um, not to get too spiritual, but I, I definitely had moments in that situation where I, I felt like, whoa, if I didn't have a Bible or if I didn't have God, I would have felt completely apart because I could hear these whispers along along mm. the lines because they're, you know, I don't I don't want to play people like there was a time. When I had to stand up for myself and I felt like, you know, I felt like God went into that room with me and was like, all right, mm. let's go. You know, like mm. I've been holding, I've been, I've been building you up for this moment so that you can stand in your truth. And in that moment, I had to let it all go because I had so much of my identity and we talked about the achievement and I'm like, you know, I'm one of the few like black women in this group and I'm doing this. And I had so much of my own self-worth tied up into this job and what these other people that I thought were so incredible thought of me that like in that moment, standing up for myself also meant like I let it all go. Mm. And I had to walk out of that room and be like, whatever happened now going to happen. I'm going to go home and have Mm. me a great Christmas and we'll, we'll reassess this in the new year. And even then coming back, it was just at that time of, of the year, new year and saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what life might look like, but I had already made the decision that I wasn't going to live like this anymore. I wasn't going to sub- subject myself to this kind of treatment anymore. And it just so happened that kind of in that surrender, other things started to happen. So I have this mm-hmm. saying that I say all the time of like, even when it looks like nothing's happening, something always happens. And so for me, it felt like, I don't know what's going to happen, but this, this, this environment is not going to happen anymore. That something happened and somebody stepped in and said, Hey, Mm -hmm. come over here and and, and hang out with us and work for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And so having that experience gave me the, the belief now that I have of like, even when it looks like things are falling apart. Something mm-hmm. happens. Some, some, mm-hmm. some, somebody's got you. You just can't see it. So you keep doing what you're supposed to be doing, and let let the universe do its work. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's so important for healing from trauma is rewriting the narrative that was yes. created. And I imagine that the narrative that you initially had around this traumatic experience was it's my fault. I didn't do enough. I did something wrong. I could have done this differently, right? Like it was sort of a self-blaming narrative. And I'm curious about how you worked to shift that narrative and how you healed from that experience. Yeah. So one of the things that I, I love to tell people now, because when my clients often come to me, they're just far removed. So they're still in that, gosh, maybe I could have done something more. Maybe if, and I love to start with, you didn't do it. What if you didn't do anything wrong? Mm. 
right? What if you what if you did the absolute best that you can do in that situation? Because sometimes we just we try to take on other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. And why are you taking on somebody who bought toxic energy into work every day? Why are you taking on their their baggage? It's not yours to carry. So right. just let's let's move from a place of, but what if I didn't do anything wrong? Mm-hmm. And just start there. And then I had to acknowledge what happened to me. And it was not until I was having brunch too with a friend and we were laughing and joking. I was talking to her about this thing. And, and I jokingly said, gosh, you know, that person was just a bully. And it was like a jolt mm-hmm. went through my body of like, is that something? Do people really get bullied at work? Is that a thing? And mm. I went, being the smart person, right? I had to research that. And I found out like, whoa, I am not the only person that has experienced this. Like people really, fully grown adults with fully grown adult responsibilities get bullied at work. Mm-hmm. So did I. It was embarrassing like to think mm. I'm a grown woman handling all mm. these bills, doing grown woman stuff, and I'm getting bullied because we equate bully mm. with what a child on a playground who can't defend themselves. And mm-hmm. I, I was embarrassed. I was mm. guilty. I was hurt that none of my other colleagues came to my rescue. And so I also had to start with just acknowledging the feelings that I had around that, acknowledging the fact that how I was treated, I was hurt by that. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes, what do we do? We just accept that as a per- woman, as a black woman, you just gonna have to go through some stuff at the job, and that's just one of the things mm-hmm. you have to go through. But no, mm-hmm. you have to acknowledge that. Yeah, we go yes. through stuff at the job, and it hurts, man. Yes, <laughs> yes. And if yes. we don't deal with that, we carry it into the next job. So now right. I'm looking at these other teammates like, oh, so y'all ain't going to say nothing either. And manager, what you going to do? Am I going to have to start documenting you? And it's like, mm. you got to give people a chance. Mm-hmm. And we carry that from place to place. And so I didn't want to do that. I wanted to really sit in how I was feeling. And I had to acknowledge that my confidence was still shot because the new job didn't heal me. We think getting out of a toxic work environment is just about getting the next job. No, that trauma moves with you. And so I had to go through my own process of like, well, how do I get my confidence back? How do I get the sparkle back? How do I bring the black girl magic back? And that was a process. That was a process of acknowledging what happened to me, acknowledging my feelings and rebuilding my confidence on a very regular basis. Yeah, I think that's really important, right? Because... You can bring it into another job. You can bring it home, right? Suddenly you can you're bring it home Absolutely. and frustrated with your kids, with your partner, with your other family members. So the acknowledging, the sitting in it, the offering ourselves kindness is such an important part of yes. the healing. And then I think you're right. It's like, how do you, one, build trust in yourself again, right? How do you reconnect to the truth of who you are and remember that the truth of you is not what these other people said about you or how they treated you, right? But that it is that you can make a contribution and that you do have skills and that you do have intelligence and you do, right? Like sort of recentering what is true and then also working to build trust with new colleagues, right? Like not assuming that they are the same as the other college because the trap that we can fall into is you go into a new situation with the energy, the defensive energy. Now you want to be protective, but the defensive energy that then sort of recreates 
similar dynamics where they don't really trust you because you're always defensive and you're always like distance and then there's no relationship. And so we can kind of then because we expect it and we feel like we're protecting ourselves by expecting it to go poorly, then we recreate that dynamic in our next situation. Yep. And that's a big fear of so many people who, who come to me. They're terrified. They're like, how do I make sure this doesn't happen in my next role? And we do exactly what you just said. One of the things that I like to encourage people to do is, um, you know, in the movie uh, Mean Girls, they had the burn book. <laughs> I, I like to tell people to start building your own brag book. Mm. And so that's one of the ways that we rebuild that confidence, because in the beginning, I, I mean, I couldn't go from like, you know, I had been in several months of being told I wasn't good at writing. I wasn't good at speaking. I didn't get, have good ideas. I couldn't go wake up one morning and just be like, you know, I am a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> that just didn't work for me. So I had mm-hmm. to have some some concrete evidence. Right. So I went back to even in that job when things were not going great, I still had colleagues VP sending me emails saying, hey, we really appreciate how you did this. Mm. This was great. Great job. And I would read over that every morning. And I Mm. would remind myself, no, that's who you are. The girl who did that project, the girl who got that feedback, that is who you Mm -hmm. really are. And all the other stuff, that's a lie. And I would just try as much as I could to just focus on this list. And every time I got more emails or even, you know, friends, like, girl, I love your hair today. I like how you put that outfit together. It goes in the brag book. <laughs> hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. I love that as a, a great strategy for people who are listening. Um, it's also something that really helps to overcome imposter syndrome because you're sort yes. of really acknowledging the affirmations that you're getting. Yes. I also think this speaks to the power and the importance of working to embrace your unconditional self-worth because yes. when you know you're worthy, then yes, it's going to be hurtful and disappointing if people say negative things about you and mm-hmm. you will still be able to hold on to the truth of who you are. You will continue to take care of yourself, right? It sort of guides you yes. and you can still take responsibility for the parts that are yours to take responsibility for That's right. and leave the rest. And so this practice of unconditional self-worth means that as you were saying in the beginning, right? Like if you never accomplish anything again, you still know you're worthy of love, care, and respect. And so there's still a yes. sense of like, even if I'm not meeting their supposed standards for my work, this disrespectful treatment is not okay, right? That's and right. I'm worthy of more. And so that can just provide this foundation through which we can, I think, more wholly enjoy life's ups and the celebrations and really embrace them instead of just rushing on to the next thing. Yes. And then also yes. we have a cushion for the challenges so that we don't mm-hmm. feel like we're hitting rock bottom um, right. and, you know, are struggling with a sense of who we are because somebody was harmful to us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, this has just been a really powerful conversation. And I think that a lot of people are going to relate to it, right? I think a lot of people are going to relate to being in the mode of trying to prove their worth through achievements of experiencing negative things in the workplace that put them down and sort of wondering, how do you recover? How do you get out of that? And so I think it's really helpful that you're offering one, your own story, as well as strategies that you offer to your clients and the people that you coach on this. 
So I know people are going to want to connect with you, learn more about the services you offer. So I'd love for you to share a little bit more about that. Yes. I, anybody who wants to connect with me, I would love to connect with you as well. So you can find me on um, LinkedIn at Zenica Chapman, that's Z-E-N-I-C-A-C-H-A-T-M-A-N, um, and on Instagram at Z underscore Chatman. And I'll, you can also go to my website. All of my information is there about services and, and how I coach and all of the information is available there at Zenica, Z-E-N-I-C-A-C-H-A-T-M-A-N. Awesome. Thank you, Zanika. It has been great to talk with you. And yeah, until next time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's been great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for joining me this week on the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. Make sure to visit my website, dradiagooden.com, and subscribe to the show on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. You can also follow me on social media at Dr. Adia Gooden. If you love the show, please leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Lastly, if you found this episode helpful and know someone who might benefit from hearing it, please share it. Thanks for listening and see you next episode. This episode was produced by Chris and Tiana and the music is by Waterboy.